Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey guys, Olivia Allen Price here. Before we get to today's episode, I want to let you know that we just launched a Bay Curious newsletter. Each month, it will have answers to even more questions not featured on the show, plus behind-the-scenes photos, fun facts, and lots of other neat stuff from the Bay Curious team. You can subscribe at baycurious.org slash newsletter. All right, on with the show. Let me set the scene. You've swiped right on the app. The date went really well. (laughs) Now you're back at their place. They've put on some sweet music. You're in this big, beautiful room with two sets of bay windows and a couch the size of a small bus. You know it's rude, but you just have to ask. How much is your rent? We all know the refrain, the rent is too damn high. But a few people are lucky. They've got rent-controlled apartments in desirable neighborhoods and are paying way less than others stuck paying sky-high rent. As Bay Area rents go up and up, some have wondered, is rent control a good thing and could we use more of it? Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. In San Francisco, the average rent for a one-bedroom is more than $3,000. Reporter Jessica Placek is here to explore how rent control might be making things better or worse. In California, rent control limits how much a landlord can raise rent year after year. And right now, only 15 cities in the state have some form of rent control. 
it's really the bigger cities. Those so L.A., San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose. This is Matt Levin, a data reporter for Cal Matters and co-host of the housing podcast Gimme Shelter. And he says even in those cities, not every home is under rent control. That's because of this 1995 law that was trying to encourage building by limiting rent control. It's called the Costa Hawkins Rental Housing Act. That passed by one vote that shapes rent control policy across California. It's a huge deal that most people know very little about, and it limits rent control in two big ways. First, Costa Hawkins made it so when a tenant moves out of a rent-controlled apartment, the landlord can raise rent to whatever they want. This is called vacancy decontrol. I see old apartments all the time. They're total pieces of crap, and they're, <laughs> they're, they're charging like a bazillion dollars, right? But once you get into that apartment, They're limited in how much more they can raise it. Every time a person moves out, they can reset it. Costa Hawkins also made it so you cannot have rent control on most single-family homes or condos, meaning most of the suburbs can't be rent controlled. And you can't have rent control on new buildings. So the law created a cutoff date. You can't impose rent control on properties that were built after 1995. As for the cities that already had rent control, Costa Hawkins froze their cutoff dates where they stood. In Oakland, the cutoff is in 1983. Berkeley is 1980. While in San Jose and San Francisco, nothing built after 1979 can have rent control. So anything new and nice looking in San Francisco is not going to have rent control on it. So all these limits are supposed to encourage developers to build more housing. Yeah, because new housing means guaranteed market rate rent. Builders will hopefully see dollar signs and want to build loads of housing for our hungry, hungry housing crisis. All right. So now I have to ask, how is it actually working out? Well, there is not as much really great research on the effects of rent control as you might think. But there is some good research. My name is Rebecca Diamond. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Many arguments for or against rent control are theoretical. But Diamond and her partners got data. They looked at the address changes of San Franciscans over roughly two decades, starting when rent control expanded to small multifamily housing. Okay, let's get to it. Who benefits? First up, people who have rent control. So we find for the tenants that were living in San Francisco at the time of the law change, so they're already in their apartment, they benefit dramatically. In 18 years, people whose apartments became covered by rent control saved $7 billion. People over 40 saved the most. They saw about three times the benefit as young people. That's because young people can't stay put in the same way. They have to leave those rent-controlled apartments because of new jobs, marriages, and growing families. Now let's look at who does not benefit from rent control. This one won't surprise you. Landlords. Landlords really, really dislike rent control. This is a very costly policy for them. It forces them to provide these subsidies. With their earnings capped, some landlords decided to leave the rental business altogether by selling or converting their apartments. At the end of the study, 15% of those rent-controlled apartments were taken off the rental market entirely. That decreases the supply of rental housing, and if supply goes down, 
prices have to go up for supply to equal demand. With more people trying to get into fewer apartments, landlords can charge more. So that gets us to another group that does not benefit, renters who do not have rent control. Diamond's study found that across the city, rent went up by 7%, costing about $5 billion. To recap, rent control in the Bay Area works best for people who have been in their apartments for a long time. But for newcomers or those paying market rate, our form of rent control actually pushed their costs up. So Jessica, would we be better off if we just got rid of it? Great question. The Bay Area Council Economic Institute... Which is not a bastion of socialism, but it is uh, more aligned with the business interests of the Bay Area. They did this simulation looking at what would happen if we changed various housing policies in San Francisco. And what they found was that if you did away with rent control, that is the worst thing that you could do uh, if you wanted to preserve the affordability of the people currently in the city. Getting rid of rent control would mean more than 16,000 households would find themselves in unaffordable housing overnight. Time and again, we see the markets just systematically fail in their stated purpose of providing decent housing opportunities to everyone. I met up with Tony Samara from the advocacy group Urban Habitat. Samara says this is a civil rights issue and that rent control is a frontline defense against resegregation in the Bay Area. The consequence of rent control is actually the problem of not enough rent control. If you have a city that passes controls on pollution, and then the polluting industries pick up and move to the next city, do you blame the regulation against pollution, or do you blame the polluter who's trying to get around the regulation? He's pretty much saying that if rent control covered more units, fewer tenants would be getting huge rent increases out on the free market. Some groups are working now to get rid of limits on rent control. A measure to overturn Costa Hawkins will be on the November ballot. If it's overturned, the door would be open for California cities to expand rent control, maybe even to every single unit. But landlords, developers, and their representatives are fighting hard against this, like Tom Bannon. I am the CEO of the California Apartment Association. Bannon told me that developers already face a number of hurdles when building, like nimbyism, environmental restrictions, and the soaring costs of land and labor. He's worried that if rent control expands to new construction, investors might leave the state entirely. You would have a serious reduction in the construction of any new apartments because builders and banks and just individuals would not be willing to take the risk. And that's housing we really need. Just to keep up with population growth, California needs to build 180,000 new homes each year. Right now, we're averaging less than 80,000. Reporter Jessica Plachek, thanks. Mm -hmm. We'd love to answer more questions about housing and the Bay Area. So what's on your mind? What are you curious about? Submit your housing question at baycurious.org. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for that Bay Curious newsletter I told you about at the top of the show. We hope it will be an email you actually look forward to reading each month. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? 
Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.